0: You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com.
1: Okay, this morning the reading is Acts 7, 30 through 35. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of, a, of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came a voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Dear God, thank you for this morning and for all the people that um, you brought here today. Thank you for your word and for your reminder that you hear um, our groanings and you see us in our afflictions and that you're with us. Um, Pray that you would just open our hearts to receive your message this morning and be with us as we go about our day. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you, Shannon. Good morning to all of you. Good to see you. Um, So a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the Joseph story, if you remember that. And uh, one of the things that Stephen pointed out about the Joseph story, a truth for us to hold on to, is that God is not, you can't put God in a box, he's not confined, right? He's not confined by anything other than his own good and holy character, And so what that means is that he's not confined to a place, neither is he confined uh, to our expectations. And so what that means is that God is free. He is free to do uh, what he wants, and he's free to bring about his plan of salvation in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. And that was true both then, but then also now in our own lives, God can do that type of thing. So what that means for us in our Christian world, Walk is that part of the Christian walk is having God open our eyes to how we fit into his story, his plan. So it's not about how God might fit into our plans, right? So you can't put God in a box. We mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Now this I bring up again because it's sort of like this major theme, actually, in the book of Acts as, as a whole but it kind of is a very major theme in the speech that Stephen uh, is giving. So he's going he's to circle back around to this, and he's going to circle back around to it again a little bit later. We have been walking through this uh, speech that Stephen is giving to who? He's giving to the Sanhedrin, right, this, uh, this governing body there, uh, because he's responding to some charges that they have uh, against his message. They are saying that his message, right, about Jesus, the gospel message, that it stands opposed to some of their very cherished institutions where they have put their hope in and where they have found their identity in. So they, they're saying he, he, he's coming against, his message is coming against the holy place, that is the, uh, you know, the temple in Jerusalem, and the customs of Moses, and that's a special reference um, to sort of the national identity markers that were very important to them, things such as circumcision, Sabbath keeping, new moon uh, Sabbaths, festivals, um, dietary laws, all of these types of things. They're saying, Stephen is coming against these things. That's the charges. Now, we've also noted that Stephen responds to these charges. He does something very interesting, right? He he takes the whole situation, including the charges, and then he puts it within the framework of the history of God's saving acts, right? culminating in Jesus himself. And he's trying to demonstrate two big points in doing this, if you remember. One big point that he is making is that, look, Israel has a long history of rejecting God's representatives. So that's one point that he's making. Another point that he's making is that God is free. He is not confined to a place, and he is not confined to our expectations. And the way that he sort of fleshes out these two truths is by pointing to three significant figures in their history. So he began with Abraham, then he moved to Joseph, and now we're looking at Moses, right? And he de- Moses, the, the, the time that he dedicates to Moses is the longest, which makes sense with reference to the accusations that are being made. And he breaks up Moses' life into three 40-year segments. Moses lived for 120 years, okay? So last time, last week, we looked at the first two 40-year segments, the first 80 years of Moses' life. And now we're going to begin, not even finish, but begin the last 40-year section of of Moses' life. So two weeks ago, Stephen used the Joseph story to make the point that God is not confined to a place or our expectations, and today Stephen is going to use the Moses story to make Pretty much the same points, that he is not confined to a place, and he is not confined to our expectations. And that's sort of going to give us the structure of the message this morning. So let's first think about how God is not confined to a place. Now, when we think about um, religion, right, and, and I'm making a distinction between religion and the Christian walk, okay, But when we talk about religion, right, religion is mostly about being the right person who does the right things in the right place with hopes that God will take notice, meet with you, and bless you, right? That, in sort of sketch form, is sort of the basic elements of what people think of as religion, Remember, I'm making a distinction between religion and the Christian uh, Christian walk. Now, I've met a lot of people that believe that the right place now is a church building. Have you met people like this? A church building, a lot of people think, a church building is where God meets with people and blesses people. So if you want God to take notice of you, you go to a church building. And a church building is where God will meet with you. Now, even within that larger category of people who believe that, there are two other categories. There's uh, subcategories. Like one subcategory is the person who says, "Yep, yeah, that's right. A church building is where you go and God meets with you and blesses you, but I'm not the right person. I'm not the right person to come into a church building. So I, I was reminded of a situation, it's been almost a decade now, do you guys remember Don Stiles? Anybody here when she was here? Okay. Do you remember when Don Stiles, she had a friend that she was trying to invite to Enclave, right? And this friend believed that, okay, you know what? That's a good idea because Enclave is, is a church building. That's how she understood Enclave. That's maybe not how we understand it, but Enclave is a church building. It's the right place, but I'm not the right person. And it was largely because of her clothes, Do you remember what Dawn did? This is pretty true to form for Dawn, right? She said, how about if I wear my pajamas to Enclave? Will will you come with me to Enclave if I wear my pajamas? And she said, yes. And guess what Dawn did? Wore her pajamas to Enclave to sort of push against some of those ideas. So that's, that's one subset of people who believe that way. There's another subset of people who also believe that, okay, yeah, a church building is the right place. That's where you go to meet with God, and then God blesses you. He might take notice of you if you go there. But unlike Don's friend, they say to themselves, and I am the right person. Like, that place will be blessed if I arrive there, right? Okay, so maybe you know some of those people. (laughs) Um, Now, the members of the Sanhedrin, what category do you think they belong in, right? They belong in the latter category, okay? So let's, let me explain that a little bit. Let's think about the members of the Sanhedrin. So as we said earlier, the Sanhedrin is the largest, most authoritative governing body in Israel at the time under the Roman Empire, right? And they rule over everything. Religious things, political things, legal things. It's like all tied up in, in there's like one branch of government, right? The, the Sanhedrin, okay? <clears throat> they were made up, or they consisted, the Sanhedrin consisted of 70 members plus one president who was the high priest, who at the time now is Caiaphas, the son-in-law of Annas, okay? They traced their, at least the concept, back, all the way back to Moses and the 70 elders in Numbers chapter 11, they met in a place called the Chamber of Hewn Stone, which was literally built into the northern wall of the temple complex. Now, I bring these kind of details up just to say, right, when you consider who The Sanhedrin were and where they met, right? Everything about who they were and where they met suggested to them, right, that they were the right people in the right place. They had privileged access to God's holy presence in what they are calling the holy place. Okay, so now think about Stephen... They bring Stephen in front of the the Sanhedrin. The accusation, or at least one accusation against him, is that he is coming against the holy place. The place that they found their hope, the place where they found their identity. Deeply offensive. And so part of what Stephen is going to do, they're literally in... The temple complex, or, you know, in a room into the wall of the temple complex, right, he's going to use the Moses story to demonstrate that God is the one who decides if, when, and where he will meet with somebody and thereby make that place and that person holy. Now, we're going to come back to that idea. Stephen talks about this idea with the Moses story by reminding them of when Yahweh met with Moses and where Yahweh met with Moses. So when did Yahweh meet with Moses? So let's look back at our passage. It begins with the phrase in verse 30, now when 40 years had passed, okay, so What's that with reference to? Forty years since when? Right? So you, to know the answer to that, you just go up one verse. <laughs> it's since, quote, verse 29, Moses fled. Fled from where? Egypt to Midian. Okay, and it says, And became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Okay, so when did Yahweh meet with Moses after he raised a family in Midian. What's the significance of that? Well, Midian, right, and scholars kind of go back and forth about the exact boundaries of where Midian is, and uh, Heiser, it's like huge. Uh, but, you know, and part of the reason maybe is because these are nomadic people. It probably sh- shrunk and grew at different times during history. But, but it's mostly, and I, are we on the right Let's go to the next slide here. Oh, the one before, actually. Right there. Okay. So it's it's largely that area in the red red box, sort of like east of the Sinai Peninsula, east of that the little body of water right there. It's called the Gulf of Aqaba. Right? <clears throat> so that that sort of area. So but the point is, no matter where you make the boundaries, is it in what became Israel? No. It's not in the promised land. Okay, so he's in Midian, and he is living among the Midianites. Who are the Midianites? So they're sort of this distant relative of the Israelites through Abraham. And what about the history between the Israelites and the Midianites? Were they friends or were they adversarial? Mostly adversarial. Okay? Uh, and that's a large part of their history. It's interesting to note that it's Midianite traders who were the ones who brought Joseph into Egypt in the first place. Okay, so Moses has been living 40 years with the Midianites. And during that time, he marries the daughter of a Midianite priest. The priest's name is Jethro. Her name is Zipporah. With her, he has two sons, Gershom and Eleazar, who later are, it says, counted among the tribes of Levi, who do what? Who do the people of the tribes of Levi, you know, what do they do? They're priests. Where do they work? In the temple, in the tabernacle. Pretty interesting. You learn that from 1 Chronicles. So here's the point. For the first 80 years of Moses' life, aside from three months, right? The very first three months, the first 80 years, he has not been living with the Israelites. This is Moses. Most, I mean, in our minds, Israelites, Moses, there's a pretty deep connection, and, and as there ought to be, but for the first 80 years, he hasn't been living with the Israelites. He first lived in Pharaoh's house. Then he lived with the Midianites. He married a non-Israelite woman, Sephora. And then he has two sons with her who later um, become part of the priesthood. Now, here's the question. And I'm, I'm really asking it. Why do you think? So, <clears throat> Stephen can share any kind of details that he wants to with regard to the history of Israel. And and he is. He's being very selective. He's alluding to some of these details that, trust me, the Sanhedrin can pick up on. Why would he be bringing up these details in this moment? Anybody? God was with Moses. He's free to do what he wants with whomever he wants. So he's messing with some of the categories that the Sanhedrin have about who right people are and what right places are. So remember we said religion is about being the right person who does the right things in the right place so that God might take notice of you meet with you, and bless you. So Stephen's reminding them, these, this religious group of people, well, let's think about when God, Yahweh, met with Moses. Everybody agree that Moses is really important? Like if you said that in the Sanhedrin, they'd be like, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Right? Okay, that, that's when. What about where? Where did Yahweh meet with Moses? Verse 30. Again. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush, and then skipping down to verse 33, then the Lord, who's already been identified as the God of your fathers, Stephen's basically saying like, I didn't say this, Yahweh said this, then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, there's a couple of details to point out here. One, let's think about this fire, okay? In the Bible, fire is often associated with God's holy presence. Fire is going to accompany Yahweh when He comes upon Mount Sinai again two other times. But now, he's, here, it's just with Moses. Later, it's the, all of Israel is going to be there, and they're going to see it happen. Right? So in Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 20, fire accompanies Yahweh when he comes upon Mount Sinai, and he gives the law to Moses. So think about the accusations, okay? He gives the law to Moses. Right? <clears throat> then in Exodus chapter 24, the, the fire accompanying Yahweh comes down on Mount Sinai again. This is after the golden calf incident, interestingly. Um, <clears throat> he comes down again to give the plans for the tabernacle. So fire is associated with the holy presence of God. Right? Later, where do we find this fire? Right? A pillar of fire leads the children of Israel in the wilderness, not the promised land, in the wilderness, right? Exodus chapter 13. And then that fire resides on the tabernacle in Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 38. So you have this fire that is associated with God's holy presence. That's one detail to take note of. The other thing that's happening is that this place is called what? Holy ground it's called holy ground a place so holy that you have to take your sandals off to represent that this is really not the place for contamination so what does that sound like in the reference in with reference to this context sounds like the temple what they're calling the holy place. It's even interesting to note that the priests who served at the temple most likely didn't wear shoes. So he's, he's talking to them. There's a whole group, 70 people in a semicircle around him. They're not wearing shoes because they're in the holy place. Right? That's the one article of clothing that is not described. I mean, they even. You know, Moses even describes the undergarments that the priests are supposed to wear. But he doesn't describe the shoes because I don't think they're wearing any shoes. And so do you see what Stephen is doing, right? Like, what's the accusation that's coming against him? They're saying, you are against the holy place. And so Stephen reminds the Sanhedrin in the holy temple, in the holy place, right, in the chamber of hewn stone... He reminds them, well, the temple is not the, whole, is not the only holy place. Because right? where's the holy place? <clears throat> exactly. Anywhere God actively reveals who he is and meets with his people is a holy place. Okay, so is the temple in Jerusalem a holy place? Well, yeah, I mean, it can be. At least can be, and it it was for a very long time. He revealed who he was there, and he met with God's people there. What does he do in uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 10, though? He leaves the holy place. So then what does it become? A place. Right? Okay. So what about this burning bush in the middle of the wilderness Far from Jerusalem. Is it a holy place? The passage just said so, right? Because God reveals who he is and he met with Moses there. Therefore, it's a holy place. What about today? So let let me ask the question in this way. Where did the divided tongues of fire land on the day of Pentecost? Jesus' followers. God's holy presence has moved into the followers of Jesus. So, those of us who are followers of Jesus, what does that make us? God's holy place. And um, And that is overwhelming. do do we deserve to be God's holy place? No, I mean, your knees should be knocking. I mean, we do not deserve to be God's holy place. And yet because of Jesus, we become God's holy place. So religion says, you need to be the right person doing the right things at the right place. And then God will meet with you and bless you. But God says, it's my holy presence that makes a place holy. And it's my holy presence that can make you right. You see, religion and the Christian faith share a lot of the same words. It, 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 it can be confusing. But the order is extremely important. One is repulsive to God, and one is beautiful to God. It all depends on what you are making the center. So God is not confined to a place. That's the first point he makes. The second point he makes is that God is not confined to our expectations. So look with me now in verse 35. There it says, This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Right. That's a reference back to verse 27, where Moses receives his first rejection from an Israelite, and that's what leads to him fleeing Egypt and going to Midian in the first place. Then Stephen says, This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer, by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. Now, there is a lot going on in this verse, and maybe we'll talk more about it next time we're together. But I just want to, for today, I just want to point out one detail. The phrase, this Moses, and the phrase, this man. In the next several verses, in verses 35 and 38, Five sentences begin with some version of this phrase. This Moses, this man, this one, this, with reference to, to Moses. Right? It's, done, it's almost like the cadence of a, like a southern preacher. I don't know if you've ever heard southern preacher, but this Moses, this Moses. You know, he's, that, That's kind of the idea. It's for emphasis, and, and it's to point us back to some details that we have learned about Moses already. He's saying... To the Sanhedrin, it's this Moses, who you probably think grew up in the wrong house, Pharaoh's house. It's this Moses, who you probably think married the wrong woman, Zipporah. It's this Moses, who you probably think raised their, his children in the wrong place, with the Midianites, the wrong people. And it's this Moses that you probably think God called in the wrong place the wilderness of Mount Sinai. It's this Moses that Israel in the past, our forefathers, initially rejected. But it's also this Moses who God chose and sent to be re- ruler and redeemer lord and savior over israel now this call recalls another uniquely lucan phrase only found in the book of acts this jesus who was also rejected by israel its the sanhedrin remember stephen is talking to the exact same people that put jesus on trial Like, not just the same group by name, the same people, right? They're the ones who handed Jesus over for Him to be crucified. This Jesus is mentioned all over the place in Acts. I'll just read it several places. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. There it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Acts chapter 4, verse 11. This Jesus, this Jesus, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then very interestingly, in as part of the accusation that they are laying against Stephen, in Acts chapter 6, verse 14, it says, for we have heard him, talking about Stephen, say that this Jesus of Nazareth We'll destroy this place and we'll change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So Stephen is reminding the Sanhedrin that before there was this Jesus who you rejected because he didn't meet your expectations, there was this Moses who was also rejected because he didn't meet the expectations of the Israelites then. But God is not confined by our expectations. Now, that is both an encouragement and a warning. It's an encouragement for those of us, we feel like outsiders, we feel like we're on the margins, we can't imagine being the right people that God would use for His holy purpose. Maybe you feel like you grew up in the wrong home. You were raised by the wrong people. You might even think that you're married to the wrong person. Right? But God is saying, I'm the one who makes people right. I'm the one who decides if I will use them for... My glory, And the only way that that's possible is because of the blood of Jesus Christ where I, I cleanse them of all sin and then I put my holy presence within them. So it's an encouragement for those on that side. But it's a warning for those of us who say to ourselves, you know what, I am the right person. Because God is saying the same thing to them. God is the one who makes people right. And he can only make them right because of Jesus' blood and if he puts his Holy Spirit inside of him. Now, Moses' background is not the only unexpected thing going on in these verses. We've got a bush that's burning and not being consumed, right? We have the angel of the Lord who seems to be both distinct from and equal to Yahweh. So what's that about, right? And these are details that we're not going to talk about today. (laughs) And I'm, I'm asking God if, Maybe that's what we'll talk about next time because there's just a lot, just a lot uh, to those details. But the point today is that God is not confined to a place or to our expectations. He can meet you wherever he wants to meet you, and he can use anybody that he wants to meet. Use you wherever he wants to send you. He's just free to do whatever he wants. And so what that means for us is God show me how i fit into your plan. Not God let me show you how you fit into my plan. God cannot be put in a box. Let's pray together. Father you are good You are holy. We are not worthy to stand in Your presence. And yet, through Jesus' blood, we can be made clean. And through Your presence, Your holy presence, the Holy Spirit, You can change us from the inside out. And so, Lord, we pray now that Your Holy Spirit would come and minister to each person. Speak to each heart, God. Draw them to Yourself. Give them a vision of the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in His name. Amen.